0: Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart.
1: Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show this week. And boy, do I have a full show for you today. I am so excited to uh, be here with you, winding down to the end of 2019, getting ready to start a new decade. I don't know why that just realized that just hit me the other day. I was like, oh, we're just going into a new year, but no, we're going into a new decade as well. And what I would love for you, my listeners, to be thinking about the last few weeks of this year is thinking about how you can change the way you've been thinking. So that you can take your life and your business to the next level. And my guest today is somebody that is so going to help you do that. I've known him for over 20 years, I think. I've forgotten the exact moment we met. I remember where, but not the year. Um, Brian Kurtz is on the show today. He is... um, Somebody that, if you do not know that name, you need to know him. Forget direct marketing or even Internet and social media marketing. Brian is all about direct response marketing, and he has lived and breathed the best and the worst of it for over four decades. He just came out with a new book several months ago, and I've finally been able to get him on the show. The book is called Over Deliver. Build a Business for a Lifetime, Playing the Long Game in Direct Response Marketing. And my copy is so dog-eared, plus my Kindle copy. Uh, It's just something that you really need to be considering if you are in business today. And, Brian, thank you for being on the show.
0: Yeah, um, I'm so pleased to be here. And now I have to know, where. so where do we meet first?
1: We actually met, and I I always regretted that I never fully took advantage of this. Steve White introduced us when you were doing some masterminds. Oh, okay. And I was asked to be a part of it, and I went to several um, sessions, and my ego was just way too big, and I never fully took advantage of it. Oh,
0: really? Okay. That's an interesting thing. Yeah, yeah. And, it's I, I, you know, interesting that, that you recognized, the, it's always good to, we were talking about this before we came on the air, it's always good to recognize where you fell down because that's going to be the keys to, you know, boosting you back up later on. And uh, I, I don't know if it was, it, that was the reason for you, but I think if you, if you look at it without being totally self-critical, it's really valuable.
1: I I found it really valuable even back then because it was only a few months after that that I began to realize that I needed to think a little bit differently about how I was doing some things for myself. Mm -hmm. I had my first offer for somebody to buy my business, Mm -hmm. and I had this totally inflated sense of what my business was truly worth. And I got well, it's like selling a
0: house you know you always think your house is worth more you always think your your when you do a yard sale you think every piece of crap that you have in your house is worth more so you know why not why not your business right?
1: Yeah, exactly and that schooling completely transformed yeah. the worth of my business yeah. and I've always thought about those things that I had learned but not listened to when I first met you and I followed your career for a really oh. long time. Oh, and that's great. I, I,
0: you know, I don't even know, you know, um, I, I don't pay attention to it because if you, if you spend time reading your press clippings, you won't spend time continuing to over-deliver and, and contribute. And and so I, I have to catch myself sometimes when, you know, a, a couple of things happen. I mean, I think I have a, an example in my book um, uh, one of the biggest mistakes I made in my career was when, I, when we went into the infomercial business, and if your listeners don't know what that is, those are the 28-and-a-half-minute the uh, commercials that are on late at night, and we got into the infomercial business, and everybody told us, you know, you're going to get one out of 20 are going to work. And so the first four we did, three of them worked. So now I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm a genius, right? I, I know how to do infomercials. I cracked the code. And I proceeded to do the next nine infomercials. Not only did I not have a success, they were all like losers, big losers. And, of course, the, the three successes paid for all of those losers, you know, 20 times over. But the, the lesson for me was that, you know, when you, when, you, when you beat the system, which I did, kind of, um, you start reading your own press clippings and you say, I can do no harm. I can I can crack this, and it took me nine times after the the, the 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 third success to prove to myself that I wasn't as good as I thought I was, and you know that that lesson alone, you know, has stood stood the test of time for me, and I don't have to go nine times to prove that I'm not as good as I thought I was, and it, that's just you know. It, I, I sometimes, you know, that just living, um, you know, 61 years is, is, as long as you don't live one, year, one year's experience for 61 years and you actually have 61 years of cumulative experience, which I think I do, that's, that's so valuable. And, and it's always why, you know, early in my career, I, I flocked to the people who were in their 60s and 70s when I was in my 20s and 30s because they had all the wisdom. And, of course, the downside of that is that most of them are dead now. Um, I, I, in fact, someone told me I should have titled my book, Too Many of My Mentors Are Dead. Um, didn't like that title, but, um, but it's true. And, but, it, but it's based on my, my philosophy that, you know, if I can find fewer mistakes to make from the people with the wisdom, that's, you know, that's so valuable. So another reason I wanted to mention, you know, being on the show is really – uh, powerful for me is the title of it. You know, the idea of, of asking questions and the right questions is is such a big part of marketing and copywriting and everything that I teach and that I do. Um, in fact, my, one of my mentors, Jay Abraham, who's still alive, um, thank goodness,
1: who, who, wrote the forward, who wrote the
0: forward for my book, he, you know, he's the Socratic method. You know, he is He wrote, he has a piece uh, that that he shared with me and he shared with my mastermind on, you know, asking the right questions. And, you know, if I always talk about that, one of the best characteristics for a great copywriter or a great marketer is insatiable curiosity. And that comes from asking the right questions. So I'm really excited to be here because I'm expecting some really good questions.
1: Oh, great. Put pressure on me now. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, you know, it's. For me, uh, number one, thank you for those words. I'm really grateful for that. I I titled this show, It's All About the Questions, because to me, the question is everything. And who you ask the question of is everything as well. Yes. And I, I, that's one of the reasons, Brian, I really love that you finally wrote this book, because you've written other books, but I'm really yeah, glad... I had another
0: book, right.
1: Yeah, that this book, because... Number one, you ask so many questions in here and encourage the readers to ask questions to truly understand who they are, what their business is, and who their clients really are and what they're looking for, which let's drop right into something that really stood out for me that I'm kind of confused about because I see this all the time. People talk about lists, right? And they talk mm-hmm. about lifetime value of your customers. But, I mean, I've had this happen on my show. You quickly and gladly said yes to be on my show. I've had other people say, well, how, many, how big is your list? That's all they care about. We'll mm-hmm. only be on a show that has a list of 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. They don't care if you have a smaller list that is incredibly responsive. And that is something you talk tremendously about in your book, where you talk about the idea of lists being responsive versus compiled. Right. Why does that matter?
0: Well, in, in the, in the, when I, I, was, I, I came out of the direct mail world. So in direct mail, there are two kinds of lists, response lists and compiled lists. And response lists are obviously better because they responded to an offer previously and they'll probably respond to an offer in the future, whereas compiled lists are basically names compiled from the phone book with overlays on married, on incidents of children, on, um, uh, you know, profession, SIC codes, we call them, uh, you know, dentists, doctors, whatever. So that's a big difference in the the direct mail world. But to, to answer your question about response lists versus compiled lists, or at least how, and, and size of lists. You know, when you asked me to be on the show, I, I never think about the size of the universe. First of all, I never turned down a podcast. I never turned down an interview because you never know, like, what will come of it. I mean, I'm, I'm, very, I'm a big believer in, in serendipity. I believe that, you know, if I'm on your show and no one would buy my book and no one would be interested, um, but maybe someone mentions me to someone else and that person, you know, ends up calling me or, you know, I just believe that you can't, you know, go into every relationship that it has to have an immediate payoff. So I I certainly, you know, I believe in serendipity in that respect because it's easier because then I don't have to keep score. I can do 100-0 in almost every relationship. And what comes back to me will come back to me from a different direction, but it might be partially due to what I did, you know, on, on this show or some other podcast. So, but the, the idea of, of, of size of lists is, is so irrelevant um, to, you know, the, as you said, the response. So I'll give you a, a quick little example. So right. I, have a, I have an email list. I blog every Sunday. I, I have, uh, I had, I got, I, with my new book, I was able to add a lot of new names. So I, I got it up to like 13,000 names. Not that big, not that small, just, you know, a, a decent sized list that I was blogging to. And I was getting 20% open rates around. Uh, I, I'd, send, I'd send another email during the week to the people who unopened the first email and I got another 10%. So I was happy with that. And then my, my email provider said, you know what, you've got Uh, I guess it was like 3,000 or 4,000 names on your list that never open, And I'm like, really? Never open? And they, you know, it was like six months maybe, or it might have been three months, but whatever. And so we were required to take them off the list. And now we we, we have the names, so I can always go back to them and maybe try to get them to come back in and open an email or give them a a free bonus or something and over-deliver, of course. But my list ended up coming down to like, I don't know, 7,000, 8,000 names. And the interesting thing, of course, is that my open rates are now, you know, 30 to 40%. And now I'm feeling like, well, the people who really want to hear from me are hearing from me. And, you know, I don't sell a lot in my, in my email, but I sell educational materials off my, off my blogs. And so more people are... Interested in buying because they're stayed on my list. If they don't buy, they can stay on my list forever, and they never have to buy anything. I like them to open and read, and enjoy my stuff. But so that's a that's a very small example. A bigger example would be you know if if um you know a big direct mail list of buyers of of a book, um, and you know you sell a different book, uh, all of a sudden, and you get a bunch more buyers, and one book was for I'll say for, you know, the men's, the men's book of health and the second book was the women's book of health and you have a product for men, all of those new names and new buyers are irrelevant to you. So that's why list segmentation is so important. Even on a huge list that's all response and all buyers, you've got to segment that list to the group of people that are going to be responsive to your offer. I mean, this is basic direct marketing. But it's also, you know, it, it's, it's human behavior. You know, right. I, I have a whole, a whole chapter on, on list building and RFM in my book. Uh, it's chapter uh, four. And RFM, for those of your listeners that don't know what it is, it's, it's technically a term that we use a lot in direct marketing and lists and all of that. But it's actually a human behavior uh, uh, measure. And what it is, is R is recency. F is frequency, and M is monetary value. So what it says is that the more recent someone responded to you, the more, the, the more recent they responded to you, the more responsive they're going to be. The more frequent they respond to you, the more responsive they're going to be. And the more money they spend with you, chances are they're going to spend more money, so they'll be more responsive. And putting those three things together on a list of 5, 000, 500 names, 5,000 names, or 5 million names, it's basically the same thing because you know, when, when I look at my list, for example, my, my, my 7,000 names, I know which people are opening regularly. I know which people are opening more frequently. I know which people have spent more money with me. And those people are my VIPs. Those people, I might make an offer to them that'll be much more valuable to them than someone else. And if um, on a big list, uh, RFM is you can do it through sta- – I'm, look, I'm not a math major. Um, I was an English major. I know nothing I'm, – I'm terrible in math. But I appreciate that direct marketing is about numbers. It's about how people respond, where they respond, uh, what offers they respond to. And you can segment all different types of people. That, that's why when you have a list, mailing the whole thing with the same message, especially an email, which is so – so much cheaper than it was in direct mail there's no reason to always mail every name on your list the same thing like i just i just did a mailing
1: okay, this morning okay stop there for one second because okay. there is you just gave us so much gold right in there my question though around that is why do you think that people are so afraid of looking at the data. I mean, I, I see this all the time with my clients. I, I get emails all the time and social media from my listeners. They're like, well, this campaign isn't working. That isn't working. I'm trying to send this out, but I'm not getting anywhere. So, Or they're like, I need to just keep trying Facebook ads or this or that, and they're doing the same messaging over and over again. They seem afraid to look at well, are you even sending it to the right people? Is the messaging even right to the same people? Is your list that you're trying to reach out to the right list? How do you recommend that people get past their fear of looking at this data that you've just yes. said is so critical?
0: I, I, I hate to say this. I, I, I don't think it's fear, I, I, and I hate to use the word, but it's, it's laziness. Um, okay, I like that better. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not calling everybody who doesn't do it lazy per se, but it's 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 not that difficult. I'll, I'll give you a quick one. It just happened today. So, I've got a list that I that my my list of seven eight thousand people. I mail everybody the same thing on Sunday morning. It's a blog, and it's you know it's it's targeted and you know, but everybody gets it. Now, I have an offer right now until the end of the year for a, a virtual mastermind that I'm launching called Titans Accelerator. So Titans Accelerator is basically um, a, an inexpensive way to get access to all of my the, the stuff that I do in my in dollars my $20, $25,000 masterminds to people at like $1,500 a year, which is the, the current price, and it's going to go up to 2000 So I've got a bunch of people on my list that I... I have, um, I had, I I sent out an email that said, you know, their name and let me know if you're interested. And a lot of people responded to that, a couple of hundred. And I sent them information on accelerator and, you know, a few some people, you know, took me up on it and other people, nothing. So then today I went out, I think I did two separate emails, one to people who were people who responded to the let me know email, um, who didn't yet um, join, and I just write their name and I said still interested? Question mark. Um, and then the rest. Of, this was the only change I made. You don't have to make that, a lot of changes here. The rest of the list said they didn't open the let me know email. So then I went back to them and said interested? Question mark. And then on the ones that I changed one line, it's a short email, in the, in the people that opened the Let Me Know originally, I just wrote, as you know, I'm launching Titans Accelerator, because they did open it, they might have read it, they might not have, and everybody else said, I'm launching Titans Accelerator. Now, you say, well, that doesn't make that much difference, you could have sent the same thing to everybody. I just got results on it. I mean, the, the people that got the still interested, they came out in droves. And they started telling me why they didn't respond to the, to the first email. And I'm, I'm finding out that it was because most of it was cost. You know, these are, these are more junior marketers. $1,500 doesn't seem like a lot of money, but it's a lot of money to a lot of people. So right. now I know where I'm going to go. I'm going to go to a monthly um, deal for those people. And I'll go out with another email to those people and say just those people and say, You know, would you like to pay monthly so you can get in on Titan's Accelerator? So I've been able to segment the list by how they responded to how I went out to them. Now, in addition, I still have that group of people that um, are the people that haven't opened my emails at all in the last three to six months. So with them, I do this technique, which is called the nine-word email, which is something that I learned from Dean Jackson, who's a wonderful marketer, and it's basically they, they at some point they got on my list because they heard me on a podcast, they read an article I wrote, they saw me speak at a conference. So I know they're interested in like direct response marketing or you know uh, copywriting or something. So what I do is for those people, they're not opening for three to six months. I'll just it a subject line that has their name in the subject line, and then people tend to open emails with their name, and then the first line of the email would be, are you still interested in direct response marketing and copywriting? Question mark. You know, I don't get huge open rates to people who haven't opened in three to six months, but I get anywhere from one to five percent opening that, which then gets them back into my list, so I can, I can mail them again you know, not to sell them anything, just to get them in in my tribe again, or I have to drop the name otherwise. So, I mean, and there are other techniques to do that as well. And, you know, then um, I, I went another, I went a step further. I said, and, and these are not, you can see that I'm not doing anything extravagant. You know, they, you know this isn't me being super uh, industrious. I'm, I'm a little lazy too. So I don't want to do a lot of different things, but what I did was I also had people who, uh, on the, on the, going back now to the first let-me-know email, I had a lot of people who said, um, who had either bought a book from me, either over-delivered, they, some, a lot of them bought over a lot of them bought breakthrough advertising, and a lot of them bought uh, 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 recordings of a seminar. And so I, I went to each of those three groups, and I said, you know, are you interested um, and, and then I have a short email and in the short email, I would, I would pinpoint how I got their name or how they got on my list in the first place. So, you know, the, the principles of over-deliver will be explored in this, in this mastermind. The principles of breakthrough advertising will be explored in this mastermind. And so even within the, that list, I segmented, but it was only like, you know, one, one or two words based on the information. And I think the lesson is, Whatever you do, in email, in direct mail, or whatever, you've got to keep track of responses. And and, and in email especially, they might not buy, but they might open a lot of emails. So you want to know that with recency, frequency, and monetary value, sometimes the M is replaced by T. I call it RFT. Instead of spending money with you, they spend time with you. And in the case of email, which is a lot cheaper, If they spend a lot of time with you, they might spend some money with you someday. So you want to be cordial to them. You want to be, well, you want to be cordial to everybody, but you want to be um, especially cordial because they're spending time with you and you want to give them as much value as you can within reason for free until, you know, you know, until maybe they'll, you know, you don't have to fish with bait. You can fish without bait Um, and then they might just, the fish might just jump into the boat one day.
1: Right, and you never know who those people are talking to that may be buying this, that, or the other thing. Uh, Brian, you've already delivered, over-delivered so much stuff the first half of the show. Everybody, we're about to go to the national news. I'm here with Brian Kurtz, author of Over-Deliver, Build a Business for a Lifetime, Playing the Long Game in Direct Response Marketing. And when we come back from the national news, and if you're listening to some podcasts, this will be instantaneous, Brian's going to share a lot more about how you can grow. Welcome back, everyone. I am here with the amazing Brian Kurtz, author of Overdeliver, Build a Business for a Lifetime, Playing the Long Game in Direct Response Marketing, and also an umpire. Now, I'm not going to hold it against him that he's a Mets fan versus a Yankees fan.
0: But... I am a Mariana Rivera fan,
1: though. Okay. well, we'll He's my we'll... favorite
0: player. If, you, if, you, if this was a video, you'd see a painting of Mariana Rivera behind me.
1: And, and that's not a bad thing.
0: <laughs> not a bad thing. And, and I have reasons for it from a business standpoint if you want to go into it, but we don't have to.
1: Well, you know, there's so much around your work. So let's just dive right back in. Let, let's talk about Mariana Rivera and how as a Mets fan you've got a picture of him and the fact that you umpire because it really, you talk about it in the book, Yeah, and it really ties to lifetime value.
0: It does. So I'll do Mariano Rivera quickly. Mariano Rivera was, uh, those of you who don't know him, was the best closer uh, who ever lived. And by closer, meaning it's the guy that gets the last three outs of the game, the three toughest outs, um, and he has more saves than, than saves is the category. So he's got more saves than any pitcher ever. He, and the beauty of Mariano Rivera is that he had one pitch. And it was a cut fastball that no one could hit. Now most pitchers have three or four pitches. They have a knuckleball and a curveball and a fastball and a changeup. Mariano Rivera had one pitch. I think he said, he made a joke one day, he said, I think I threw like nine fastballs in my career. I mean, and his career was like 20 years. Yeah. So he's throwing this cut fastball every time. You know what's coming and you can't hit it. So what's that about? And so you say, well, you know, why not keep that to yourself and don't don't teach it to anybody? Mariano, on the other hand, um, used to say, you know, anybody who, you know, he would go – People, young pitchers would come to see him on other teams and say, teach me that pitch. And he would teach it to them. Um, and what was interesting about that, I always wondered why, and then I thought about it, and it, it's obvious. First of all, if they could do it better than him, that raises the bar for him. But then he probably knew that no one could do it as well as him anyway. But if they could, it raises the bar, makes him better, and then he'll have a better cut fastball soon enough. But more importantly... It, it really embraces this concept of uh, competition as coexistence. And, you know, there are secrets in business. There are things that are proprietary. There are things you don't want to share. But my, my experience, and it, it, I got it from Marty Edelston, who ran my company boardroom um, when I started, and I worked for him for 34 years. And that, that concept of competition as coexistence, I learned, like, very early on, like, in the first weeks of working at boardroom and i found that you know there might have been some things i've shared over the years that i gave away something that might be worth something more to somebody else or they might have eclipsed something or they might have stolen something from me but net net it was the best way to be and i'm still like that i mean i still share everything so that so that's Mariano rivera's story the I'm not sure, umpiring I'm not sure. i mean i I was a a fat kid playing Little League um, when I was 12 years old. But I was a good catcher, and I could reach second base because the the baselines are pretty short. And so, you know, I had a good time in Little League. When I became 13 years old, you go to the big field. I mean, 13-year-olds are playing on the same field as the major leaguers are. So here I am, 13, you know, kind of fat, kind of slow, and... I, you know, I would hit a ball, like, out into the outfield, and I'd get thrown out of first base. So, and plus, as a catcher, I couldn't reach second base. So what am I going to do? I love baseball. I want to be in the game, and so umpiring became, you know, a passion for me. I think I started umpiring when I was about 15 or 14. Um, by the time I was 18, I was the uh, umpire-in-chief of my local Little League, and I've umpired my whole life. Um, the interesting thing of how that relates to um, my book and direct response marketing is my chapter on customer service and fulfillment because i equate a great umpire to a great customer service and fulfillment expert and it's 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 so interesting because you know no one believe me no one comes to the game to see the umpire Uh, i i i'm really confident in this and the only time that they'll know who the umpire is or that they have to pay attention to the umpire is when they screw up.
1: Oh, absolutely. Bad, a, ba-
0: a bad call, you know, something happens on the field that, you know, goes crazy, and then everybody knows who the umpire is. Half the people are pissed off at him. Half the people are praising him and whatever. So if, you know, the, the best thing you're going to get when you umpire, a uh, I umpire high school uh, varsity games and I umpire tournament little league games and the best thing you get at the end of a game, if I get nice game ump or, you know, good job back there, um, I did my job. And if they, it, the, the idea is to not to be seen and to, to show that at the end of the game, it's like there's nothing about the umpire. Like the umpire did play no role in this game. And if there was a great call that you made, then you might stick out, but that's not why you're there. So that's that now a customer service rep it's the same thing you know a customer service rep someone on the phone taking orders and you know you're not going to hear from them you're not going to find out if something went until something goes wrong and so the, but the the extra added thing that i added to this is that customer service and fulfillment are marketing functions because if you can save a customer if you can make a customer satisfied when they started on the phone dissatisfied if, you know, I used to play a game at, at, at Boardroom where I'd say I, I'd be at the office late, and this is before, you know, before we had automated attendance. And at 8 o'clock at night, the phone would ring, and I know it's going to be a disgruntled customer. So i pick up the phone, and i play a game. You know, how can I make this customer happy, not ask for a return, give them more than they ever would have wanted, over-deliver, and then, you know, keep them as a customer for life. And that's where it ties into lifetime value because, you know, it it is so much easier to keep a customer than to get a new one. You know, new customer acquisition is the sexy part of marketing. Keeping a customer, retaining them, making them happy all the time, selling them other products that they really want, um, not doing it too aggressively but doing it uh, with with competence and confidence, that is a prescription for a long-time business. Whereas, you know, acquisition is, you know, uh, uh, you know the, the quick hit. It's the, uh, you know, it's not, it's important. you got to get new customers. But I, I just did a, a podcast recently that it's all about, it was all about lead generation and customer acquisition. And they, you know, they were talking about different ways to acquire a customer. And, and it was like eight different elements of customer acquisition. And I said, I'll only go on this podcast if I can do a different dimension. I want to do... Customer acquisition with the long term in mind and I did because if your initial promotion To someone to get to to buy from you for the first time is not You're not thinking about what you're going to sell them later and what you're going to deliver to them later You're missing out on the ability to get renewals to get a, um, a repeat buyer going back to recency frequency and monetary value so it's, it's so related to marketing, um, and so I never want to put you know, a, a, a kibosh on, on new products and, and uh, new customer acquisition, but you know, marketing for the long haul in your customer acquisition is a real thing, and it comes down to customer service, fulfillment, and creating new products that are great. Um, I always used to say we did subscription products. And I always used to say that, that um, uh, marketers sell subscriptions and editors sell renewals. And that's true in, if you're not in a subscription business. Basically, marketers sell the first order, and, and the content providers, the, the product developers, whatever, they are responsible for keeping the customers happy, making sure that the product works, making sure that the newsletter is great or the magazine is great. So it's, it's, it's so intertwined, and anybody who looks at the front end of marketing and the back end of marketing as completely separate is missing the boat.
1: I'm trying to figure out the best way to ask the next question because you just shook up my brain there with what you were just talking about, Brian. You know, I, I watch Shark Tank a lot.
0: And yeah, I do too.
1: I do too. Oh, God, I've been watching it since the beginning, and it's been interesting to watch how they've changed. But yet, in a lot of situations, they're asking the same questions of the entrepreneurs, and it blows my mind when they seem confused by the question that was asked of them. And one of the questions that's often asked is, is what's your cost of acquisition of acquiring a mm-hmm. new customer? Mm-hmm. And often the sharks then go back at them and say, Well, are you even plumbing the depth of your existing customers? Are they repeat buying? Are they not? Are they one and done? And that is such a critical issue for so many businesses, especially in the beginning stages. They feel like they just have to keep adding more and more customers instead of building the base that they've got and over-delivering to them what would yeah, I mean US it's think? an
0: interesting thing because in, in Shark Tank, a lot of people have one product. It's a one invention. Um, right. But I also think that the sharks go after the person to say, "Hey, you know, are you thinking about new products? Are you thinking about what's the next product?" I mean, and they do invest in the in the one and done products because, like, you know, like Lori could put it on, Lori Grenier can put it on, um, you know, oh, you HSN. See and you know that's going to be awesome and they'll blow it out but they love to invest in the entrepreneur who says you know i've got the next product in mind already and but i'm going to focus on this one first that's what you want to hear you want to hear that i'm going to put my 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 entire effort into blowing this out but i also know what i'm going to do later but i'm not going to get distracted by that that's an important consideration for the sharks the other thing that I notice in Shark Tank, which is relevant, is that whenever someone gets up there and is talking about kind of like a, a more commoditized product and they say, you know, it's an $800 billion business, all I need is this much of it, and, you know, usually it's Mark Cuban says, I'm out. You know, it's like I'm not – I don't want to play that game. I want you to go a mile deep, not a mile wide, and I don't want you to have to go um, – um, a mile wide and just get a little bit of width. You know, it's like that's not where we want to go. We want to go a mile deep. And that's why, you know, whenever I'm, I'm watching that show, I, I, I always uh, gravitate to the real niche products, you know, that are a niche of a niche. Like, I mean, I, I can't think of one right now, but I'll, I, I, for example, you know, I do, I do a mastermind. And there are a lot of other masterminds in the industry. And I remember there's a guy who was servicing dentists in a mastermind, like dentists who wanted to learn about marketing. He would have a group of them. He would teach them marketing. And as he was doing this great group, and he was doing well with it, he started realizing that it was an older group, and they were a lot of them were thinking about getting out of their dentistry practice. I mean, unfortunately, you know, a lot of dentists love what they do, but a lot don't, and they want to figure out how I'm going to sell this practice. Right. So he, 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 he developed a situation where... He developed a mastermind that was only for dentists who were looking to sell their practice and then also what to do with the proceeds of that sale and teach them specifically real estate investing. So that's a niche of a niche. So he's like, he's got dentists, he's got people, dentists who want to sell their business and dentists who want to sell their business and invest in real estate. And you say, well, that's like, you know, four people. No, it's not. And if it's 20 people or 50 people, they will pay $50,000 to be in that mastermind. And then all of a sudden, you've got 50 people at $50,000, and, you know, that's a a couple of million-dollar business. So, you know, I think that niche is one of the most important things in business. It's one of what Gary Halbert, who's a great copywriter, calls a click on a dial. Like so many times, I'm in a consulting situation or... I'm talking to someone about their business, and, you know, you have your clicks on a dial. I go, Mike, oh, Mike, a little click, 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 I got it. And my click, one of my big clicks is niche and all the variations of niche. And once I get into that discussion, then, then we can really go a mile deep as opposed to a mile wide, and it's exciting and all of that. So, um,
1: it's, You talk about it a lot in Chapter 5 of your book.
0: Yes, yes. I, I felt that that was important when talking about offers. Um, yeah, I did. <laughs>
1: which, which ties a lot to what you were talking about, about data as well, because the data will really determine what the niche is and give you that depth versus the width if you pay attention to what people are responding to and who's responding.
0: Exactly. And you may not even know what the niche is when you start. Like, I remember... I think I have this story in the book I can't remember but this th- there was a guy who um, um, he was presenting to one of my masterminds and he was like on a hot seat and he was talking about how he wanted to create a product like a course for men in their midlife crisis
1: Oh I remember that story a great story in the book
0: yeah and I can just tell it quickly that that you know what kind of what, what kind of niche is that so of course I asked him like what qualifies you to do that. So then he gave me, you know, that he was, he had gotten, he got in, he lost his job, he, he, he started drinking, he lost his, he lost his family, his wife left him, he, I think he almost committed suicide, and then he came out the other end, better, bigger and better. I said, okay, we might be on to something, because you did it, and you can teach it, and then I just asked him, what did you do for a living when you went into your midlife crisis? And he said, I was a lawyer. And that, that, that was the ticket. I said, you don't want to go after all men in midlife crisis. You want to go to recovering attorneys who have had a midlife crisis. And then your messaging can be from your experience. It can be from, you know, specifically about, you know, maybe you loved, loved being a lawyer at one time or maybe you never did, but it's, it's costing you now. And I could just see all the, all the things you could talk about and then how you got out of it then you've got something that you could charge more money for, that you could, um, you know, be more niche-oriented. So that, to me, is, you know, a perfect example of, you know, how you niche it down, but you wouldn't know until you talk it through with people, and they let you know the niche that's right in front of your face.
1: And they ask you the right questions to ask the right questions. That's, that's right. Right. Inside your book, you have so many questions that people can ask themselves, just if they just answer the questions that you have in the book around their niche, around their marketing, around the data, around who they are as people, that would lay out a plan for 2020 easily if people were to just go through the book chapter by chapter. I'm letting everybody know you're going to want to read this book over and over again. Yeah, There's
0: actually a lot of stuff on the resource site Um, like that. I think there's a Jay Abraham course on getting to where you want to go, which is a perfect time, you know, end of the year. Um, And then there's some other wonderful uh, resources on that page. So if anybody wants to buy the book, um, don't go right to Amazon, go to uh, overdeliverbook.com, www.overdeliverbook.com. Go to that page, follow the instructions. You still will go buy it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Come back to that page Put in your order number, and you're going to get access to thousands of dollars worth of resources, which is very powerful to me because it, it you know, I talk a lot about mentors in my blog. I talk about mentors, you know, in, in the book as well. And every, everything on that site, if it's not from me, it's from one of my mentors, alive or dead. And um, it's, it's a really powerful Uh, expression of my career, Uh, not to be selfish about it, but, you know, my career, I stand on the shoulders of giants, you know, Gene Schwartz and Gary Bencevanga and Dan Kennedy and and Dick Benson and Gordon Grossman. Whether you've heard of these people or not, um, I've got incredible bonuses from those people on the site because I wanted to get some of their best stuff, which was, you know, my book's like $17 on Amazon. But to get these thousands of dollars worth of products, you know, at overdeliverbook.com are just, I think it's, uh, I don't know, it's, uh, I'm very proud of it, I, I, I'd say. And it's, uh, it, it meant a lot. I, I think I mentioned to you before we got on the phone that the day after my book launched in April, I actually had a stroke and took me out of commission for, you know, a good six months. And, it, you know, and I'm, I'm, I've been back since, i say, September, and doing well, but I guess it was okay, you know, knowing that I had that sight said, okay, if I had died, you know, at least I had this tribute to all my mentors, but now I'm alive so I can continue to have tributes to them in the future.
1: Well, I'm just glad that you're back from your stroke and that you're Uh, doing well, Brian, because you've definitely left your legacy over the years. I know for me, you have from reading uh, bottom line and boardroom reports for so long, way back when from the moment I graduated from college to building my own business, and be able to talk to you today post-stroke with the work that you're doing is, you know, you've really changed the way I personally think about business and about life and about who I am as a business person. Oh, that's, I,
0: I, it makes me feel really, really good because, you know, you're a powerful person. You're, you know, you, you're, you're, a, you're a published author. You have a, a radio show, and for me to be able to impact you, but I also like to impact people with no experience, but that I've been able to impact you means an awful lot to me, so thank you for saying that.
1: Well, thank you, and, you know, I ended up selling my tech services business after 15 years. And wow the lessons I learned from you and many others helped me to do that and to be no, here too great. on the show. So I just, we have a few minutes left to the show. Um, everybody, the book is over deliver by Brian Kurtz, build a business for a lifetime playing the long game and direct response marketing. I have the hard copy. I have the Kindle version. Just re- If you, when you get the book, Read all the way through the end, go through the appendices, go through the acknowledgments because it's like your master's degree, Ph.D., real-life MBA, all in one. And, Brian, I would be remiss, and we need everybody to go to overdeliverbook.com, but I have this last question. Go ahead. In... The the list of books that you recommend people read, you have Emperor's New Clothes under Market Psychology and Inspiration. I'm surprised Green Eggs and Ham is not there by Dr. Seuss.
0: Yeah, The Giving Tree is in there, though.
1: The Giving Tree is totally in there, and Oh, the Places Will Go by Dr. Seuss. Um, Emperor's New Clothes, quickly, in like a minute. Why?
0: You know, it's a very important book because, you know, you don't have to read it, but you have to know the concept that... You know, it's like, you know, look at look at the uh, look at our political situation today. You know, you've got two camps, and they're all sticking by their 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 guys or guy. Um, bo- both sides. It's not, you know, I'm not taking sides here, but it's it's like you've got to question the the people in power all the time, and it's hard because you know someone has has more power than you, but you really got to try to be, and I always talk about this intrapreneur versus entrepreneur, that if you're an entrepreneur in a company that has a very, very strong entrepreneur, and that's where I got it from, Marty Edelston was a very strong entrepreneur, and when I got to Boardroom, I didn't have much of a voice, but I really tried to politely and let him know when, you know, maybe he didn't have any clothes, but, you know, maybe he, he was only wearing his underwear, or, or maybe he was only wearing, you know, some clothes, but I would kind of try to tell him. If he could hear it, good. If he couldn't, I'd put it out there without insulting him. And I think that, you know, it's just a great lesson in life that, you know, within reason, if you can, if you can be the person who speaks up uh, when you need to speak up, I, I'd rather be that person than the person who stays silent and just follows orders. So, you know, I guess that's why it's there.
1: And as a business owner, we are the emperor in our businesses and I think we need to look at ourselves and ask ourselves the tough question, am I walking around naked or not? Yes. So what's the best way for people to reach out to Brian beyond the overdeliverbook.com, which I highly well, recommend. I don't want
0: to buy the, I would say if, they, if they're too cheap to buy the book, which is fine, um, they can just go to briankurtz.net. I don't know if it's up yet. I just re- redid my site. Um, and they can go on there. There's some – free content on there. There's an opt-in to my my Sunday blog. So if you just want to go and and get on my list, uh, go to BrianKurtz.net, and uh, you can get on there, no cost, no nothing, Um, and uh, then you can stay in with me, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I can uh, service as many people as I can.
1: Okay, and I'm going to over-deliver right now. The first person to email me at laura at laurasteward.com is going to get a free copy, hard copy oh, wow. of Over Delivered by Brian Kurtz. Because this book is that important, Brian. Oh, thank I want you. It in so many people's hands. And um, I, I thank you for writing it. I thank you for being here on the show today and is always over delivering to my audience.
0: Thank you very much, Laura.
1: All right, everybody, Brian Kurtz, author of Overdeliver. Get a copy of the book. If you do get a copy of the book, let me know and let's talk about it because there's nothing better than overdelivering. As we go into the end of 2020, you need to ask yourself better questions. And in regards to The Emperor's New Clothes, think about yourself. And are you really You've been
0: listening to It's it. All About The a
1: great day, everybody, and remember Start the right Laura questions can change your life. Connect
0: with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions
1: starting today.